guess it's right. Hello there! You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for The Purge Anarchy. Purge 2, Purge Anarchy, Anarchy Purge. One of those things. I'm pretty sure it is The Purge Anarchy. My name is Tom Chick and I'm here to discuss it with you and I've brought along Christian Miloski. Uh, y'all can just call me Daddy. And with a Purge Anarchy tagline, Kelly Wan. Uh... What if during the purge someone murders the guy whose job it is to turn on the all clear siren? Hmm. Hopefully they have redundant systems in place. To it doesn't just keep going. I don't know. Let's find out in the third movie because oh actually uh it's not my turn to do that yet. <laughs> about how well it went. Uh Dingus, without spoiling the purge and oh, because maybe yes. I just want you to know I saw I watched Sightseers. Uh, when did you do that? Because you should have done that long you didn't tell ago. tell me after you put it on your top ten, and then you went, oh, by the way, you should see that, Kelly. You didn't mention me. Anything on my top ten you should see. <sighs> Francis Ha? We had you didn't discuss- say see Francis Ha, or it would have been on my top ten. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, so we had a discussion before we started recording about Matt Barry, who has a, a series on uh, BBC called Toast of London, which has been renewed for a second yes, season. Yes, I did hear you, come Fandango. And uh, that's that's a reference to it from Kelly Wand. Uh, and we were wondering why aren't there full length Matt Berry movies? Like does 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 Hollywood or just just the movie going public in the world? Do the people who make movies feel that they're not ready for ninety minutes of Matt Berry? Because I feel like I am, and I'm just a little puzzled that if we can have the movie Sightseers, uh, why can't we have, you know, that right there is the level of weirdness I would expect from a full-length Matt Berry movie. Well, that's a British movie, though. They could, in theory, he could have made a British movie. It's not an American thing, right? Uh, Right, that is a good point. It would have to be a foreign film. Certainly no American studio is going to put up, you know, the several million dollars for us to watch Matt Berry do weird things. They didn't put up the whatever for us to watch Alice Lowe and Sightseers, either. They did. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Ben Watley. Yeah. Waitley. Waitley. Whatever. However. Uh, yeah. Kelly Wan, did you see uh, Kill List? No. It's his first movie. It's kind of a Kill List is basically Wicker Man meets, meets Pulp Fiction. Mm. There's a little <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend. Actually, you should see it. Uh, I don't think Dingus should see it. I've, I've told or, or ruined parts of it for Dingus. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend it. He also did a really weird, I think it's a black and white uh, movie called A Field in England oh. about a bunch of dudes yeah. who have just retreated from a battle. It's like in medieval England. And it's got this weird kind of Beckett stage play quality to it and this Is kind of absurdity. Battle? I don't recommend that. Like a medieval battle? It's like a medieval battle, but you it's always conveniently off screen. He didn't have the budget to do any sort of a battle. Uh, but it's one of the guys from uh, Kill List who I really like, whose name escapes me. Uh, I really like him. He's he's in a lot of a field in England, but I don't. But he's not. That. But so, so you saw uh, Sightseers. What did you think? It does strike me as the kind of movie that Kelly Wand would appreciate. Do you even have to ask? Of course. Good yeah. point. <laughs> it tricked me a few times, which is it's good at that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's the thing. That's what that's the upside of these stupid of being dumbass American moviegoers is like we get numbed. So then when something exciting happens, it's like a whole. It's like a fucking revelation. Wow. Uh, should Dingus see Sightseers? He, it was on his top ten. 
I was going to say, because too bad, because he already has. <laughs> I thought maybe you would wave him off of it. He told me to see it. <laughs> Kelly Wan, give us a line from Sightseers, and then we'll, we'll talk about this week's movie. Uh, you fucking witch. Hmm. All right. There's better, but that'll do. <laughs> I just, what was the guy with the plastics guy? I'm trying to remember what his things he said. There you go, Kelly Wand. But, Mom, it was an accident. So were you. <laughs> See, I thought the mom was going to come on the journey, and it was going to be like uh, Tammy. Just- it's a little too wacky. That would be in an, in an American movie. That would See? happen, Kelly Wand. So if you want weird foreign movies, we cannot recommend Sightseers enough. Uh, and that's all three of us. Dingus. I guess once is enough. Before we... Before we talk about whether or not we can recommend The Purge Anarchy, why don't you tell folks about it without spoiling any aspects of it? Just maybe give us the basics, uh, spoiler-free. <laughs> the basics. All right. So this week we saw The Purge, colon, Anarchy. I was so close. If I'd only gotten the colon in there. That's Very confusing. I thought colons were reserved for non-sequel spinoff kind of movies. But this is a sequel. Uh, well, you know, actually, my theater calls it Purge 2. Uh, on, my, on my movie ticket stub, which I'm holding right here in my uh, little hand, it says Purge 2. And when I bought my ticket, they were like, it's Purge 2. And on the little thing, yeah, it's they're, Purge 2. You're buying a ticket not, for Purge 2. No, they're not authorized to make those calls. That is beyond their jurisdiction. I don't approve of that. I think that anything they do when they print the tickets or the dude, the minimum wage dude goes out there and puts the letters up on the marquee, ignore all of that. Because that means that I saw, by the way, uh, Dawn of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the movie but that's that I went true to. anarchy, though, isn't it? <laughs> if you just put a two on there. Ah, we'll put Kelly. So anarchy wasn't in the first one. Nope. The first one was just Purge. So, so this is the Purge colon Anarchy. It's a 2014 American action horror thriller sequel movie mm-hmm. about thriller. surviving a night in downtown Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It was directed and written by James DeMonaco. Uh, although what's weird is that his uh, credit is given as just characters and not screenplay. It's a very strange thing. But anyway, it was written and directed by James DeMonaco. It stars Frank Grillo, Carmen Iogo, Zoe Soul, and an armor-plated 2001 Dodge Charger Pursuit. Kelly Wan, do you have a reaction to any of those? The Dodger Pursuit. <laughs> is that the truck? <sighs> I'm not a car guy. Uh, the Purge colon Anarchy is rated R for strong, disturbing violence and <laughs> for language. On Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, Purge Anarchy is at 52%. Mm. So I think I'm safe in saying the majority of reviewers approve of this movie. Yep, I Mildly approve. If we go to – no, we don't know Kelly oh. Wand. That's Metac- uh, Rotten Tomatoes does not measure that. Let's go to Metacritic to, to get more of a gauge of the degree of approval. Metacritic is the average of various reviews, some of which use ratings, some which don't. They gauge the enthusiasm, and they average it out. On Metacritic, Purge Anarchy is at 49. Mm. Wow. What? Okay. At the box office, it is number two. The number two movie in the no- nation this weekend, Purge Anarchy. Right behind that uh, Dawn of the Apes movie uh, that I saw. Uh, it made $28 million, which is down. I think the first movie opened at $34 million. Um, and that's what I have to say about that. Kelly Wand, 
I would like you to spoil now everything that happens in this movie uh, by giving us an exhaustive synopsis of the purge anarchy. Any guesses? The purgeopsis yeah, anarchy. That's all I got. Okay. The purge anarchy. <laughs> the purge colonopsis. <laughs> Some words are all. The time is the future. Valentine's Day has been moved to July and replaced with the day where everyone in America is allowed to kill and rape with impunity till a siren goes off somewhere. It's kind of like Black Friday, but without the meal beforehand. For some reason, this annual tradition has lowered unemployment, at least among gunmen. The filmmakers also wish to loosely acknowledge the works of Sinclair Lewis. A radio is all. And that was Dwayne Johnson's cover of Stand By Your Man from 2014's Best Picture, Hercules. <laughs> the Adventures of. Never get sick of them. Right now, it's 59 and a half after the hour. Traffic conditions are irrelevant. And don't forget, tonight's the premise of the movie where a handful of idiots traditionally run out of gas while the rest of the city rents trucks and drives around chasing them down with chain guns and flamethrowers. That's what radio announcers sound like, right? <laughs> we'll be playing. They didn't. They didn't run out of gas. They ran out of power steering fluid. Uh, I thought the first thing is that why well, it's not like the gas cap that he had. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything because it might be part of your synopsis later. But the the their car was tampered with. Oh. Yeah. Uh. We'll be playing routine suspense music most of the night. And the door to the studio downstairs is unlocked, so feel free to stop on in. Tell us what you think of the show. Like my Siamese twin says, Radio, the great uniter. Tell final let's all try to make tonight's purge less cheap looking than last year's. And as always, <laughs> don't forget to constantly repeat the national catchphrase, stay dumb. <laughs> Rosie Perez works at Denny's with her friend. <laughs> Friends all. That crazy Mr. Janowitz, such a character. He took all the money out of the register again, left me this cheese danish as a tip. The chef, John Leguizamo's all. Stow it, Blondie. And that register money's coming out of your paycheck. Rosie Perez is all. Oh, Mel, I can't wait to see if your character pays off later. What do you got planned for tonight? He's all. Ugh. I was thinking I'd kidnap your daughter and force myself on it. The friend and the chef both laugh heartily, but Rosie Perez's eyebrows are all that bordered on inappropriate. <laughs> the chef saw, well, since I'm the only one of us with a car, I'm cutting out early. Be sure to remop the floors and turn the signs so the closed sides face and outwards. It's an old family tradition. Stay dumb. They're all, eh, stay dumb. Meanwhile, a dude and his girlfriend are pushing a grocery cart towards their car. She opens the trunk and reaches for the first bag. Then she's all... Um, Gary, these bags are empty. Aren't they supposed to have the food we just bought in them? He's all, why are you always calling up my ass about everything? You just bet his grandmother. The boyfriend has an inconclusive slow motion off with a bunch of strangers enthusiasts. <laughs> One has a god mask that says skull on it. The girlfriend's all, what was that all about, Billy? He's all, Nothing. I poked the nine-year-old wearing a creepy mask beside me, wearing a t-shirt that says, Purge 1 was mildly underrated, stay dumb, and go, I can't wait to see how his saying nothing pays off later, huh? The nine-year-old gives me a creepy wave and fondles his axe. I see his point. Coincidence has thrown us together seat-wise with depressing frequency over the past year. 
Meanwhile, back at Rosie Perez's apartment, she's all, come on, Grandpa, open wide and take this hemorrhoid ointment. He's all, medicine don't do shit. What do doctors know? I was in a war, motherfuckers. She's all, oh, Grandpa, I love you. Bernice, don't you love Grandpa? Now. Grandpa's all, ain't a single fleshed out character in this whole household. Oh, Grandpa. You and your irascible dignity. Bernice, do you like Grandpa's dignity? Grandpa, did you hear what Bernice said? <laughs> Grandpa's all, man, fuck y'all. Tonight at bedtime, I'm taking a nap. Don't any of that bullshit gunfire and howitzers disturbing me. Rosie's all, oh, Grandpa, you've had such a life. Bernice, you like Grandpa's prattle? Now! Sidebar, at this point, I grab the elbow of a passing usher and go, excuse me, am I supposed to root for these three characters just because they're related? <laughs> he says he'll go ask the manager. <laughs> Since he never comes back with the answer, I take it as a yes. As a seasoned movie buff, I've managed to figure out on my own that I'm supposed to root for the bickering young couple because they're incompatible. Grandpa somehow manages to sneak out of his house and into a limo downstairs. They find a letter from him that's all... Dear Rosie Perez and whatever my granddaughter's name is, I've rented myself for the night to a family of white people with knives to torture for money. What have we become? Love, Grandpa. P.S. Fuck y'all. The purge siren goes off. I guess the deaf just have to have a clock handy. The couple's car breaks down, so they walk around <laughs> panic-stricken. What? <laughs> Never mind. While the vat of masked guys slow motions menacingly around them in circles and honks in slow motion. Meanwhile, Rosie Perez and Bernice handle the grandpa situation with their annual purge tradition of settling in behind unlocked doors and cowering in closets breathing too loud. <laughs> the scary Mexican guy from Training Day is their doorman. Ignoring the thousand fake cops storming the building with chain guns and rocket launchers, he screams and shouts and shoots up the place and painstakingly lays out his intentions to rape Rosie Perez and the daughter, who I guess are the building's only residents? Luckily for them, he forgets to not get shot, and the guys shooting him forget that they're bounty hunters collecting people alive. Rosie, per Rosie Perez and Bernice get grabbed by the fake cops and dragged towards a truck with a guy with a chain gun in it. But a tough New Yorker shows up and saves them by killing everyone except the chain gun guy, who tricks them by getting up and aiming at them with the chain gun. <laughs> for some reason, instead of killing him, they leave. The New Yorker picks up the dumb couple, too, that drives them to an alley, makes them all get out, then walks back and picks them up again. <laughs> the daughter's all, that was a dick move, coming back for us. They get back into this car. He turns the key. It sputters, overheats, and dies for no reason. No one sabotaged that one, did they? Uh, I would say the chain was, gun sabotaged that one with the armor piercing bullets. No. Oh. The nine-year-old looks at me and goes, who wrote this shit? New Yorker wants to ditch them all again, along with, I guess, most of his guns. But Rosie Perez is all, no, wait, I, I got a friend. She has a car. Yeah, yeah, um, she'll loan it to you. No questions asked. By you, at least. He's all right, lady. I used to be a cop, so I'm nobody's fool, all right? I'm going to make sure your friend's going to loan me a car by handing you my cell phone, moving out of earshot, and assuming you don't lie. So no funny business. I'm going to give you a hundred bucks, too. Capiche? I go out to the lobby and tell the guy tearing tickets that not only am I concerned that the ex-cop character might do something he'll regret, but that I myself now feel compelled to reappraise my own lifelong passion for vigilanteism. 
I also add that if you try to explain the concept of werewolves to real wolves, I'm pretty sure they'd say it lacks credibility. <laughs> the usher tells me he needs to get a form for me to fill out, but it's the same one for both my complaints. <laughs> when I get back into the purge, all the characters are running down some sewers, being chased by a single screaming guy in clown makeup on a mine car. <laughs> I was only gone for like 10 seconds. Too. <laughs> oh, I love your interpretation so much. <laughs> I just paint what I see, Dingus. Maybe I didn't, didn't see everything was going on, but we're all entitled to make that. <laughs> sewers. <laughs> <laughs> he sprays the walls of the sewer tunnel with a flamethrower and howls, Yeah, take that concrete! <laughs> You've just been purged by Donald from Whittier, bitch! <laughs> he hates the concrete he found the one way to destroy it they kill him the music's all don't relax yet plenty of movie left <laughs> New Yorker and our heroes run into Melissa McCarthy machine gunning people from an overpass <laughs> <laughs> they trick her by tiptoeing <laughs> in plain view I thought but they get to the friend's house where everybody's hanging out, getting drunk on sangria and watching Green Hornet news crawls. The friend's all, my mom's a great cook. You can tell by how fat my sister is. The sister's all, what? The friend's I'm just saying you're great. Jeez, so defensively enormous. New Yorker goes into the bedroom to ransack the panty drawer, but sees the friend take a pill in the bathroom. Oh, this freaks him out. There may be a purge on, but yikes. He's all, hey, uh, yeah, Rosie Perez's character. You trust these people? He's getting dumber. <laughs> she's, oh, yeah, Flo's great. She's the best. I love how she's always ripping on her sister. Speaking of which, I lied. There's no car here. He's all, look, I think your daughter's real special. I love how she's always pestering and lecturing me at inopportune moments. But now that you've lied to me about the car, I'm thinking we should just part ways before some new bullshit firearms-related deus ex machina keeps prolonging this bullshit. The sisters all, I read emails, blam, blam. God damn it. They leave and get picked up by the mask guys who take them to the end of the movie where Florence Henderson's all. <laughs> okay, stay dumb, stay dumb. This is our last purge for the evening, and I know only a couple of you will get to participate, but it's still fun. Now, what am I bid for the New Yorker here in this band of crying cliches? One guy's all, $3. Nobody else needs anything. <laughs> Florence Henderson's all. Isn't this marvelous? Now for the fun part, watching them get shot in pitch darkness through a window. They get thrust into a hunting ground designed around rich people's favorite safari theme, a dingy warehouse. <laughs> all six of them crouch by a yawning garden gnome. New Yorker's all. All right, I know we don't have any guns, but the real issue's night vision. You stay here. He trots off and returns two seconds later with a pair of goggles and 40 guns. Their eyes have adjusted in his absence because they're all, hey, man, over here. <laughs> Remember they see him coming? <laughs> he trips over them. <gasps> <laughs> Fuck. I think these might just be sunglasses. Here, y'all take these guns here and just shoot wherever you hear my voice coming from. I'll try to use ventriloquism. 
That's how they train rookies. The boyfriend character's all, listen, Mildred, I just want you to know that I don't love you after... He gets shot. New Yorker's all, damn, okay, let's go. Suddenly, Wesley Snipes, who's a DJ, breaks in with a bunch of black people and goes, don't worry, we're here. New Yorker hands the girlfriend a gun and goes, I get it, your love is dead, you want to avenge him. I'll let Florence Henderson off with a warning, though. She's all, no worries. We don't find out what happens to her. New Yorker drives Rosie Perez and Bernice to a house. He's all, yo, I, uh, I could have probably dropped you off at home first, but the dude who lives here got drunk and ran over my kids, so I'm going to go in there and shoot him. Could have done it the other night, but this way I'm off the hook, because, I mean, come on, my son wanted me to go to prison over him. I'll be right back. Let go of my arm. They're not holding it. <laughs> Inside the house, the alcoholic and his family have decided to sleep through the purge and hope for the best. <laughs> Can't blame him. It's pretty boring. A bunch of stuff off screen doesn't happen. New Yorker comes out of the house looking like he doesn't understand. The truck chain gun guy from before suddenly shows up and shoots him a bunch of times in the chest. I guess the girls in the car didn't notice him coming. Truck guy's all, you shot a couple of my fellow gunmen. I know it's a purge, but come on, not cool. Anyway, I had a feeling this is the house in front of which I'd find you. There's more talking. The neighbor comes out of the house with a gun and shoots truck guy. Wait, that guy had a gun? The thank God the shit's almost over siren goes off. Everyone's all, oh yeah, it's like the siren. Wesley Snipes and his buddies all put their guns away, too, and hold hands. Rosie Perez and the daughter cry till an ambulance driver hears them. An entire hospital staff gets out and gently lifts New Yorker onto a stretcher and drive him to the hospital. There they dump him out in the driveway and kick a wheelchair on top of him. Rosie Perez pays the paramedics $26,000. Then they all watch a single tongue of flame curl up above the skyline. Bernice is all, looks like Jack in the Box is open. The music's all... Applauding thoughtfully is encouraged. See you next year. The end. Uh, All right, who here has seen The First Purge? Dingus and I watched it. Kelly, why did you see The First now? Purge? Why not? Uh, I thought this was The First Purge. It has Lena Headey. It has Ethan Hawke. Uh, what's the premise? They run out of gas? Nope, it's a home invasion movie. Oh, so it's like you're next. Except it's... Mm, yeah, well, it's... it's yeah, actually, Dingus. What? So you watched it? Spout one group of people, though. No, it's it's an it's an in earnest. You're next. I mean, there's there was a moment there where somebody's like looking for a girl under a bed, and I and all I could think about was you're next. But and, and so what? What did you think of the first purge? Like, uh, yeah, I don't think it's anything like you're next because that uh, you're next good. is. Is brilliant and subversive, and uh, I mentioned at the end of last week's podcast that one of my problems with uh, the initial purge isn't that it's a home invasion movie. I'm okay with that concept. It's just that I don't think it has any sense of of its own satire. Uh, Ding, as you said, it was in earnest. I do think it's it's weirdly earnest. It's, it's the first purge. weirdly earnest, and it's also pretty tedious. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, I just oh. I just think all the whining and crying and screaming. I, I don't think it's yeah. Movie Does at this all. happen every year? Why are they surprised? And it, and it doesn't. It I mean, it doesn't have a sense of. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's weird to watch it uh, sort of wrapped around watching this movie because of what this movie uh, Purge Anarchy is trying to say about class and uh, and I don't know economics and all that type of stuff. It's just it's weird to watch uh, the original Purge because I think it's just I think it's really tedious. And I, I mean, uh, good for Ethan Hawke for getting out of it. 
And Lena Headey, <laughs> she, you don't see her in the, the Oh, sequel. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, he gets out of it definitively. <laughs> um, she uh, she gets a badass moment at the end. But Ethan Hawke, you know, there's no way he's going to be in any sequels. Are you saying that he died? Um, that's what I'm saying. He could play his own twin brother, come back to Avengers. That's a good point. There's still opportunities, Ethan. We just want you to consider them. Yeah, did, for you didn't like the, I mean, you, you sort of tried to wave me off of it, and I, I watched it anyway just because I wanted to be a sort of a completionist and uh, have a sense of where it sits as far as watching Purge Anarchy is concerned. But I just found it just, ugh. Yep. And it, well, and it makes no sense. I mean, it's just a nonsensical movie. So uh, then fast forwarding, so this is the same director, the same writer. Really? Uh, he doesn't have the same cast, of course, because he's basically – and Kelly Wand, nobody – I mean they the, the premise, as they lay out in the first of the movie, is that this happens every right. year. Um, and so it's kind of like this movie is completely independent from the events of the, the first movie except for it's, it's revolving around this same it's, night. Uh, so it's the same Purge night out a year later. It's like happening simultaneously. I don't. I would have to check the dates. I don't know if it's like a concurrent it situation. No, it, it's not because it has the same. I mean, the the stranger character uh, shows up at, in the second movie. I mean, it, it's definitely a year later. Okay, uh, Edwin Hodge, the uh, the uh, the dude who gets taken in by them, shows up in the uh, in the tuxedo scene. Oh, are you serious? The black guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy who who oh, runs so in. Oh, so there is consistency. Yeah, yeah, he's the guy who runs into. He's the first guy who runs in to save them before Carmelo actually comes in or whatever. Then I did not realize that. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. So a lot of what's going on in the first Purge, Kelly Wand, is this standard kind of like Western concept where uh, you know the 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 man comes running into the town and the outlaws are coming to chase him and they want to kill him and the good guys won't throw the man back out to the outlaws. That's so all they have to Exactly, and there's some kind of a racial element to it, and that he's a black man. Wait, what's um, that got to do with it being an annual event? Uh, nothing, but there is this. <laughs> I, I think there are movies like where you know a lynch mob wants to to murder someone, yeah. uh, and that can have some racially charged uh, implications to it. And by it being a white suburban area, this black man taking refuge with Ethan, Ethan Hawke and and Lena Headey's family. Uh, I think it's kind of a, a little bit of a nod to that kind of concept. Doesn't seem um, to play into the premise, though. Well, I don't. I think part of the problem with this director writer, uh, J- Jason Monaco, Del Monaco, D Monaco. What, what is it, Dingus? Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, his his. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one of, the, one of the problems with this guy is I don't. I don't know that he really. His name is what he's... James Demonico, Yeah. And I don't think he really appreciates what he's got with this premise. Uh, he does seem oddly humorless. Yeah. And this, this premise, and, and I think this applies also in a way to Purge Anarchy, this is clearly satire. And it seems like he's kind of aware of that. He's more aware of it, I think, in the second movie. But there's this there's a weird humorlessness and earnestness to it, which makes me think, well, does he not Get think it. of this as satire? I mean, he's, wrote in, he's written this stuff. Does he not... Uh, does he not even know that what he's doing is supposed to be exaggerated for this grotesque, humorous effect? I, I, yeah, I don't quite know what to make of it. Like, I kind of feel that the credit sequence at the end of The Purge, and it's this kind of Kyle Cooper thing with all this driving music and all of these, these flashes of grotesque images, I kind of feel like the credit sequence at the end of Purge Anarchy understands the satire better than the movie as a whole. Because uh, there's this really... Uh, uh, you know, there's there's this sense at the end with all the different images they string together that it is this weird grotesque concept that in the movie we don't we don't really get. 
Um, well, it seems like, yeah, if, it's hap- if it happens every year, everyone would have sort of a plan for it. But all the characters act well, like, uh, like why, why do they even go on the roads that day? Um, well, I do think that is kind of the premise: is that it happens every year, everybody's expecting it, but sometimes you know different things happen and people get caught out. It's like, open. why do they have? They would get good windows, like wouldn't they? Well, you do see, and that's part of what's going on in the first movie. You do see that the nicer houses have these metal shutters right. that close down over the doors and windows. That's yeah. still, I don't know. It's but I, I think leave town. I think. Uh, <laughs> But I think it's not just about this one day. I mean, I think that Tom's right. I mean, as you know, I think I like this movie more than you guys did. Um, but I think that the the movie, while it's about one day, is really supposed to be about our society in general, right? And about right. how we don't prepare for things, and how these things happen to us, and how there how there's uh, this weird violence that we go through and i mean it's about a lot of different things about class structure about our our society as a whole but it's supposed to be like pushed into this little suppository that we that we have for this particular what? movie that is going to be shoved up somebody's ass um what dingus, yeah, I, don't understand. And I, I don't understand either dingus lost that should me. be something dingus i understand but it was installed <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do feel, and that's part of what I appreciate more about this movie. I didn't, I didn't really like this movie, but there is, there are a couple of things I really love and I want to talk about. But one of the things I did appreciate this time around is that I, I feel that uh, Demonico De uh, does under, you know, there is more absurdity yeah. here. You know, by having just a straight up home invasion movie and being so in earnest, I don't feel that he really takes advantage of the premise very well in the first movie. I can at least see, even though I don't feel it's entirely it successful, there is more. Yeah, like that martyr, that little martyr montage where John Beasley, that that freckled black man, uh, where the girls are describing it, and then it shows him uh, and these, these these rich people about ready to hack him up with machetes. You know, that's a, that's a great little sequence. We don't get to um, see it. The idea, yeah, we do. Uh, what are you we, talking about? No, well, no, we, we, no, we, we don't. See, we don't see the violence. Right? We we see yeah. the setup. Uh, yeah, and that's another thing too that I had a hard a problem with. This is a really soft yeah, R movie, right? It and it's really an odd is. movie to make a soft yeah. R. But but scenes like that, that martyr scene, the idea of, of rich people hunting, uh, the the, the anti purge militia, the the party where the sister shoots her sister and her husband at the, you know. And then talks about them having an affair. The rich lady recommending the Mauser, for instance. There, there's some straight up absurdity here, but it's still weirdly humorless. That the ending, the conclusion of this movie, where the waitstaff shows up with shotguns <laughs> into that hunting arena, that should have been just ridiculously over the top hilarious. Uh, yeah, that should have been no, bloody. Or bloody, okay. or just yeah, the waitstaff with shotguns, and then the militia bursting in. What what it it just seems like he didn't really appreciate how outrageous his own premises are, um, and, and and that that was a huge loss. I think for me that that apartment sequence was really reminiscent of uh, Running Scared, and, and that weird sort of like we found ourselves in this weird or even Pulp Fiction, um, but he doesn't really take it far enough. He doesn't understand how far he needs to take it for it to because um, I. We all see where it's going. Either they're getting poisoned or something weird. I mean, something weird is going to happen. We all know that's going to happen. But he doesn't take it far enough. I agree with that. And the party scene that I thought of, that it reminded me of, and I was like, man, I wish somebody who appreciated the absurdity of this 
the way that I think his name is David Bruckner did. Uh, there's a, a movie called The Signal, which is like a little triptych yeah. of yeah. three different movies. And the middle of The Signal is a party scene that plays out like I think that party scene should have should have been similar uh, in in Purge Anarchy. Uh, that's the one that I thought of. Um, uh, there's also, and I don't think these games are necessarily very good, but they attempt it. There's the scene where you see, as Kelly Wan described her, Tammy, on top of the building with a machine gun, killing people in the street. Uh, there's a series of games that Capcom publishes called Dead Rising, about a zombie apocalypse. And they populate Dead Rising with what are called psychos. And they're human boss battles with these outrageous, grotesque human characters uh, that you have to fight. And each one is kind of a weird social satire vignette. Uh, and I kind of wished that uh, Purge Anarchy had played more with that kind of thing. Like, show us more about the stockbroker. You know, you see the stockbroker strung, strung up in front of the bank. Uh, or I think of Escape from New York, how John Carpenter's Escape from New York moves around to all these weird little different societies and segments on the, on the, on the island of Manhattan uh, – I wish we'd seen more of that and less of people just walking down a dark street. Um, so there were just rich opportunities that I felt weren't weren't captured here. Uh, I see your metaphor. It's a good one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, I have to say though that there's a lot here that I really like. Uh, okay. Is there, is there any? Uh, right. Is there anything that you? I mean, you you didn't like anything, Kelly? I didn't – no, I don't think I liked anything. I didn't like the action. I thought nothing was subtle enough and there was – there was nothing to laugh at except maybe the guy in the mine car was kind of cool. Well, it is, it is – that does get to that idea of humorlessness, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So that's what I needed. Like it, the one thing that it would have tricked me into liking it for, it didn't have anything of. And I'm with Kelly on the action. I thought the that's action was – actually just the direction. It was dark. Yeah. It was poorly edited. I hated all the characters, all of them. I can't go with you there, but I just yeah, thought the action on this was really poorly shot. It was driving me crazy. You know, I want to see these people. I have such a huge man crush on Frank Grillo. Let me look at the guy at least for Pete's sake. He um, doesn't get to do anything good though. I disagree. I I uh, love yeah. He gets to that, that's what that's what makes this movie work for me, and what really oh, yeah. really pulls at me. Uh, I I just think that at last a movie doesn't just use him as some sort of weird thug. Um, he gets to be, and I, I haven't seen Jet. Dingus, how dare you? First of all, how dare you? You cannot just, that's what you get for liking Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh-huh. Plenty of movies that you should be seeing know what to make of Frank Grillo. So you say at last, quit liking Captain America Winter Soldier so much. Sorry. That's my, I meant to, I meant to reference sense. the gray. I apologize. Oh, God. So good in that. I love how – well, go ahead. So go ahead, Dingus. So you were going to say at last he's not just a thug. <laughs> no, okay, I, right. I, I, I really like that, that, he's the, that he's the lead of this movie and the movie uh, follows us along. I don't need – I mean you know, I understand what you guys are saying about wanting that sort of weird, surreal uh, humor to go on. Uh, but I just love the way he, he marshals them as a squad and the way he, he's, he gets them behind them and, and how he's just such a strong, great character. I love watching him uh, be the motor for this movie. I mean, it's not just because he's driving a cool car that he's tricked out with this awesome corrugated metal at the beginning, which is really, I, I don't know, just a sexy thing to watch and hear because that car sounds so freaking cool. Um, and it's a total giveaway because it's a, it's a Dodge uh, Pursuit that he's a cop or he was a cop. 
because that's a cop car. Um, but it's just so cool. I, I just love the way he he runs through this movie, that he he works through this movie. I think he's so good in it. So, Dingus, I, I would like that if it was shot better. There, there's a scene where they're in the apartment, and he just goes, door, door, door. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, you know what? Just just let me see more of him doing that. I just want to have Frank Grillo yell at dudes to go and move and door and, and all that stuff. Just have him give people a gun. But I was just – I so resented how poorly all the action was put together, how poorly lit it was at times. Um, and it reminded me a lot, too, of Jeremy Renner in the end of 28 Weeks Later is, you know, there's this almost maternal aspect of you've got this cool leader he's competent he's tough he's likable and he's going to take you through this super dangerous situation but 28 weeks later is so much more competently directed and i think the action is so much clearer um just so much of it just felt like filler and even if that filler was frank grillo yelling go 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 i just really wish that it had been strung together a little bit better because i'm with you dingus god i loved watching him in this um i love that rescue scene and i wasn't I wasn't sure at first if it was like different, but I think now it's just the director didn't really know what he was doing, but it's accidentally awesome because when he rescues the girls, he doesn't say anything. It's just that quick nod, and he even is uh. like, go back and leave them, and he comes and he leaves them, and he finally gives them a nod like, okay, come with yeah. me. And I, I'm convinced now, I thought that was awesome, but I think it was just an accident of poor pacing that it was awesome. No, no, I don't think um, so at all. I mean, there, there's that moment where he's sitting there, and he's just, just drive, just drive, just drive, just fucking drive. And then he just he just gets out and does it. And I think that nod is totally un. I mean, I love that, but partly it's because those two actresses are really good too, I think. And I think that they have a, they immediately establish a great chemistry together and... I love the way that they. I, I, I don't. I don't think you need that stupid other couple, but that's fine. But I just love that little threesome there. They're 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 great, and I I think that nod is totally on point. I mean, I I would I would give that director credit for that. Well, no, I'm saying, but the the what's great about the nod is how much filler is around oh, it. Right. Is he stands and he looks and he looks, and I I think it's. Yeah, you know, I I just I'm reluctant to give the director credit for anything because I really feel the movie is horribly directed, uh, and I think there are accidental awesome moments. That's one of them, and maybe Demonico knew how awesome it was. But I guess way too many survivors. Oh. Way too many survivors. Well, that's another thing that I thought was weird, and again, it being a soft R. Um, I remember, and as I was watching the movie. When, as Kelly calls it, the mine car, which is just a dune buggy. <laughs> mine car in the sewer. <laughs> Whatever, it's the nerds. subway, Kelly. We don't have this. Um, what? I thought. I thought when uh, when the 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 couple is sitting there and they're trading fire with the guys. I thought, oh, we're going to start losing these people. They're going to start dying. And I really kind of wanted that because that's part of what it, with these grim movies, like. I vividly recall as a kid, and it holds up because I recently watched it, I think in the last couple of years, uh, The Towering Inferno is a terrible movie. (laughs) But there are moments in The Towering Inferno when you're like, oh, no, not him, or oh, don't let her die. And those those moments are really powerful. And although Towering Inferno is a terrible movie, you know, the part when the girl – I don't even want to see the Towering Inferno. There are just deaths in that that are really effective because you like the characters right. and the movie's ballsy enough to kill them. So I thought they were going to start doing that in this movie, and nope, not at all. I couldn't have cared less about uh, that Zach Wood, I think, the yeah. actor's name. I couldn't have cared less about that dude. Don't care about his girlfriend. 
Um, but I thought they were going to start killing them and then maybe killing more. But yeah, Kelly's right. It was it you? Yeah, not enough deaths. I kind of thought the girlfriend. Oh, never mind. I think I was directing a movie I wanted to see in my head, and it was <laughs> the girlfriend and Frank Grillo are the only survivors, and then they they hook up. Nope. Uh, it should be uh, they're the only survivors, and then she gets killed, yeah. or they both get killed, or they both kill each other. You know what? Yeah, exactly. Or, it's fair enough. So. <laughs> I mean, I I kind of like the idea of of that couple. Um, and I, I, there's one moment where I like the the guy who uh, his, his character name is Shane. I think it's it's when Frank Grillo chokes that guy out, and and you know when they're when they're all standing there behind the the wall, and a, a rat has jumped on her leg, and he has to choke oh, yeah. the guy out, and uh, and after he chokes the guy out and drops him, Shane looks at him like, all right, yeah, you, you are the man. <laughs> I'm like, there's this little look that Shane gives. It's like. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's what I have to do. And then he has to do like the hero thing. But but he's just such a blank. I mean, no offense to the actor, but he just there's just nothing there for either one of them. And and that they're breaking up and they have to tell his sister. Who cares? I don't care about either one of them. It it reminded me of The Strangers, which is the thing where uh, stupid Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler are breaking up. And I didn't really like either that's one. Skyline. So I'm like, I, that's fine. I mean, uh, yeah, very uh, good yeah, guy on yeah. Skyline. Here's a movie with no characters you want to live. <laughs> For a well, they don't. So, oh, well, spoiler. Uh, and Battle yeah. Royale makes me like him more. It could be worse. Um, but uh, Kelly Wan, do you not share our man crush on Frank Grillo? He's all right. He's all right. He doesn't get to do anything. I, the choke scene's good, and there's a couple other things. I mean, he doesn't get to do it. He's shooting, he's driving. He doesn't. He gets to do cool things, but His I don't think the, the, the director isn't worthy of shooting, yeah. of really showing off what he does. It needs to be a director who really appreciates Frank Grillo's appeal. He doesn't do anything um, as cool as Snake Plissken does. Snake yeah, Plissken's he, got a really fucked up... He looks like he stuff. should be playing Jack Reacher or something. I mean, he looks awesome. I love that. Yeah, he really looks great. So yeah. I showed Dingus... Uh, I saw a really... Uh, it's like it, a pumpkin it's a, burn. It's a uh, oh, what <laughs> Gabriel Murphy was steroidal. There's a, a Jason Statham movie called Homefront, which I watched, and it has Frank Grillo in a couple of scenes as this. I don't know if he's methed up, but he's this. He's really gaunt. He's tatted up, and he's got all this jewelry on. He's this biker assassin dude, uh, and I love his appearances in that. Um, Dingus, there's a movie. I think I'm actually going to recommend this to you. There's a movie that's not very good because it's trying to be Crash. And that's never yeah. a good thing oh, to try God. to be, especially when even Crash is terrible. But trying to be Crash is even worse. But there's a movie called Disconnect uh, with Jason Bateman. <laughs> um, and, and it's about, it's about um, kind of like uh, instead of Crash being about people's cars driving into each other, uh, Disconnect is about social networks crossing places. But the yes. reason to watch Disconnect – no, but the reason to watch Disconnect is Frank Grillo plays an internet security consultant. <laughs> who gets hired to look into this cyberbullying case, and he is so awesome. Like when he comes in and he's telling you like how to do your hard drive, and when you search on the internet, always use a different password. But it's like Frank Grillo instead of being – but he's an ex-cop. But instead of him choking a guy out and shooting and driving a muscle car, he's giving you advice on how to safely surf the internet, <laughs> which, which is awesome. Frank Grillo doing that is fantastic. Yeah, I'll watch him in anything. I, I just love him. I think he's got such – He's just got such a great weight on screen, and he's got just such a great awareness of what's going on, and he connects with the other actors in such a great way. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll watch him in anything. He's also – there's uh, – unlike like a lot of super tough actors, he's – 
like there's this real kind of softness yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah, him. Yeah. He really does like at the end of the gray uh, when you know the the way he turns out in the gray that's so crucial to who he is and he's also in Warrior that movie where he's a trainer there's just that kind of like that warmth and encouragement you would want from a trainer um, and it's you know when he softens and gives the girl his his bulletproof vest and anarchy and purge anarchy you know he's really ultimately just like a really soft nice kind guy right. uh, for all that like tough bluster and how gaunt and muscly he looks. He's like a really cool, nice dude. <laughs> you, you know what? I hate. I, I don't hate to say this. Um, it's kind of like this Paul Walker quality. Yeah. Like here's yeah. this really cool action hero, but hey, guess what? He's also a really awesome, nice dude. I want to hang out with him. I think it's in uh, the eyes. Partly. Paul Walker. He's, just, he's just got this quality to him, and and even that weird sort of uh, scene at the beginning with his ex-wife. Um, you get the sense that. Oh, okay. Now I know where this is going. You don't have to lay it all out for us. I get the sense of who this guy is. He's he's been sitting here on the bed. He's been like playing with his guns and loading them all up and putting them in a bag. And then this woman comes to the door, and we show this picture of uh, this insert of like pictures on the wall. And I get who he is because he's not just like some steroidal guy who's uh, who's an action hero. There's there's something going on here, and I love that about him. Yeah. And so when he's sitting out there in his car and he's going, just drive, just drive, just drive, just fucking drive. Um, I get it. I get. I get why. He, I mean, I get why he gets out and, and saves them. I love it. I love that about him. Uh, and here's again where I started. So I, I like that too, Dingus. When we the the you know we the, it's just sort of introducing us to characters and it's not giving us too much information. I'm even okay with the couple saying, "I want to tell your sister." No, let's not tell your sister. When you tell somebody, it's real. I want to tell your sister. And then later, you find out they're talking about separating. I liked the script's idea yeah. of let's take this purge premise and let's follow three groups of survivors or just people. Uh, and then let's have one big scene where they all come together and then follow them from that point. However, my first sign that I'm like, oh, God, this guy really still doesn't know what he's doing. Man, that scene where Frank Grillo rescues the girls, you know, the rescue is awesome, the nod, but then they get in the car. And then furthermore, now we're going to have all the baddies chasing them. So then here comes the people in the that panel truck or van or whatever it was with their motorbikes. Here's the truck with the chain gun in it, and all these elements come together. It's going to be awesome, but nope, they drive away. (laughs) The biker dudes drive away. The truck guy just sits there. I expected this big, awesome action set piece, and every time I thought something like that was going to be set up, I didn't really feel like I got anything. Those are the money shots I thought we were paying to see. And even just, you know, that's where the soft R, I think, really disappointed me, too. Like, at least give us good violence or something. Yeah. Um, it's, but it wasn't even in the script, though. It's like he, he's a cock tease, this guy, this director. When you say it wasn't in the script, I, I, I think if somebody had taken... Like, you could have put more violent sure. deaths in here. But, you could have put... But maybe he went, I want to keep... I don't, I don't want people to lose track of the issues I'm trying to explore. I actually do wonder if it was shot to maybe be a PG-13, because it actually did feel like it could have been – they could have been hedging their bets and saying, you know what, we could try for a PG-13. I don't know. I don't know for sure, because even some of the the language, there didn't seem to be a lot of – well, no, there was some – But just the vibe was so – yeah. Like Dark Knight, it's a creepier movie than this. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. But I I think that that that's kind of part of the – 
I don't know. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but I think that's kind of part of the point. I think there's a certain element of frustration about this um, because I think the, I, the 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 very premise is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, uh, I I like. I don't get of, it. It's I have well, it, it doesn't make any sense that right. that one out a year. If you enjoy violence that much, that's not going to be enough for you. It, it, violence escalates. I mean, it's not the way violence works. Yeah. Oh, we're a siren. Yeah. People do it all. They just they assume it's it's always purge time. Yeah. yeah you you don't get it out in one in one year and think, well, I'll just wait till next year. No, no, that's not the way it works. But uh, but I'm willing to uh, sort of allow for it for the idea of the movie. And so I think there's a certain level of frustration that's kind of built in, so that. Um, maybe there's like roaming gangs looking for people to kill and they just aren't ever going to find them. And maybe there's a little bit of an element of that for us is that, well, I wish we'd had more violence, but we're not going to find it here. Uh, I don't know. See, I would, I would agree with you, Dingus, if that, that rich people hunting party wasn't set up. I mean – if you would let someone like Quentin Tarantino do that, we would have gotten yeah. a lot of loving. So, you know, they, they introduce characters like here are the twins with their signature blades. Uh, Here's the family fist bumping each yeah. other. You know, that's an opportunity to, to really follow through on what happens when we show us these wacky. You know, that's like stuff from Kill Bill. Like we're going to set up these characters and we're going to put them in violent, gory fights. Um, you know, that, you know that, and they die, but the, even their deaths are pretty. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. And and what would have made more sense for it was would have been for it to be in an American Gladiator, really bright arena, <laughs> rather than in darkness. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So right. that we can see ridiculous. blood splattering everywhere. Yeah, and, they don't. The spectators aren't wearing the goggles, are they? No. I'm so wondering, well, like, how can you guys see anything? How can you be reacting to what's going on when the audience in the theater can't even see it? Gunshots, yeah. too, that they can't that's a, see. That's a really good point. That doesn't make any sense. You're right. Well, Dingus, tell me more about – so Kelly and I are kind of down on it. Uh, what yeah. were some other things that, that you kind of liked about it? Kelly hated yeah. it. I'm just kind of like, ah, it really worked for me. What were some other things you liked about it, Dingus? Well, mainly I'm, I'm just hinging on the relationship between uh, Frank Grillo and um, – Jeez, I think it's uh, Carmen Ejogo and Zoe Soul, the 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 two the the mom and the daughter. Who I didn't I didn't you know it took me a while. I guess I'm just slow uh, until they were in the the apartment until she finally said mom. They were like, right? No, you're you're not alone. Uh, so it's like are they sisters? Yeah, I thought they are were they roommates. Are they yeah. lovers? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't quite understand what was going on. Waitresses don't really ask for raises because they're not going to get raises. The way you get a raise <laughs> is by getting more tips. Um, right. So is that why they're targeting her because she asked for a raise and this woman like targeted them? I, I don't understand any of that. But what I'm keen <laughs> on is is the the relationship between Frank Grillo and the mom and the and the daughter. Ugh. And those are the things I really really liked. And I love the way that he shepherded them through the city. Um I thought that was really really cool. And and again, when we got to the apartment in this weird absurd sort of like everybody's drinking, hey, let's all drink. This is the best way to get through this. And there's obviously going to be this explosion of violence that's going to happen uh, so in one way or another in this apartment. I did get that sort of feeling of, of running scared in that weird sort of or, – or Pulp Fiction where we go down the rabbit hole into this weird kind of thing. It's, it doesn't go as far. It definitely doesn't go far enough. But I really liked those aspects of it, and I didn't mind the music. I'm not as down on the directing other than you know 
what Tom just said about that hunting sequence, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever now that I think about it. So um, I, I like it less now that we're talking about it. But Frank Grillo gives me um, – I have such good um, – I, I have such a, a good feeling for that guy that I, I give this movie a lot more credit, I think. I did like where uh, they get kidnapped by the gang with the scary masks. Uh, and the guy with the god mask just picks it up picks up his mask and lifts it up and he's just like this kid and he's saying no we don't we're not gonna hurt you we're just trying to make money yeah. like i liked how you think oh these are the creepy really weird killers you're gonna torture them or whatever and no they're just running well, them up this is all them. that theater they were doing then at the beginning of the movie with the couple they're they're sabotaging cars so they can pick people up and bring them to the yeah but why are they like if it's a profession if it's just business to them <laughs> I don't think they're. I don't think they do this professionally, <laughs> Kelly Wand. They did seem like a bit of an, an amateur operation. Right. Oh, well, he was in the first movie, though. <laughs> I thought you said no, not that character, a different one. The characters who liberate them at the end, right. not the god mask oh, guy. Yeah. Which, by the way, the mask was a little weird too, because the point of the masks in the first movie is it's a suburban environment. And Dingus, actually, maybe you can correct me on this. Isn't the point of the masks in the first movie? This is suburbia. A lot of these people will know each other, so they wear masks so that they're not recognized. Am I, am I misremembering that? No, no, you're absolutely right. Because uh, the the idea of the first movie is that uh, Ethan Hawke's character um, has sold security systems to the whole neighborhood, and they've that family has gotten so wealthy <laughs> that they kind of lorded over everybody. And so it's basically the entire neighborhood coming to attack them. Right. And they've got masks on as part of that. And if that's a reveal, is that, oh, these are the neighbors that we know. Right. Yeah. They should have the best security if it's his place. Uh, well, Kelly, maybe you should see. Well, yeah. You guys already told me how it ends, you fuckheads. Jesus. Uh, the boyfriend, the daughter's boyfriend gets in and messes everything up, Kelly. Wand. What do you think of that? Mm. Yeah. But also, Ethan Hawke's kind of like, yeah, it's it's a ninety nine percent secure, but uh, it's not really built for this kind of thing. I don't, you know, this is how we sell it. I mean, he's telling his wife this. He's like, yeah, I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to withstand a, a full assault. But it, the idea is that it looks strong enough that nobody will attack us. That's the whole idea. But the neighbors who have all bought this know exactly what the weak points are, and so they all attack this house. Because they all they all know where the weak points are. So what? What do you think of that? Kelly? What happens when you yeah. choke a guy out? Uh, he passes out. Was that a reference? I don't understand your reference. What does Kelly? What do, Kelly? What happens when you choke a guy out? Oh, uh, about half a Henway. One two three. Not only you and me got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between. Counting one two three. Peter Pan, Mary, down with three. People at NASA listen to this. Huh. Uh, I miss that. People what? People at NASA listen to this podcast. And they have to listen to dick jokes. We do not know. We don't, Yeah, maybe maybe people in the White House, for all we know. I think they listen to it in Mission Control. Uh, speaking of Mission Control, yeah. let's talk about movie directors. <laughs> hey, it's, yeah, it's teed up for you. All right, this week's 3x3 three three, uh, is called <laughs> What I Really Want to Do is Act. Uh, and it's about director appearances in movies. Did you guys hate this one or like it over the course of the week? I really liked it, but I feel like there's going to be a lot of repeats. But maybe there are definitely a handful of notable instances, aren't there? Think- yeah, like there's some that I haven't listed that I'm sure somebody better mention if I don't. Well, yeah. you're the one who's always saying TV actors—they're the lowest scum of the earth. 
By the way, Frank Grillo, TV actor. This guy came up through a lot of TV. <laughs> I was in a movie and I got shot in the head, Tom Crowed. No, yeah, don't. I'm not including myself. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm definitely. I would be honored to be considered a TV actor. But, but uh, yeah, TV actor. What is that? Why did you bring that up, Kelly Wand? Well, just because directors you can't act. Oh, right, directors. If there's one. Yeah, so here's the hierarchy of actors they're movie actors. They're TV actors, and then below that, they're directors who want to be in movies <laughs> for the most TV part. Actor. And my example, by the way, was that above or below the last one. Uh, we, uh, we have to be an actor before you're a game show host. Isn't that correct? No. Bob Barker was an actor. He had a successful acting career. Pat Sajak came up through soap operas and actually uh, Brazilian horror movies. A lot of early Brazilian horror movies starred Pat Sajak. Did you know that? Was Bob Barker in a Sergio Leone Western? He was, uh, yeah, you, you see him a lot in, in some of those Sergio Leone movies. With Bobby now, are, are there game show hosts who have gone on to be actors? I don't know. Richard Dawson. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yep, TV yeah, actor. we all know yeah, him. Great TV. Great TV. Uh, so anyway, Dingus' 3 by 3 will be announced at the, uh, at the end. So Dingus, you start us off by picking your favorite, or your third favorite appearance of a director in a movie. You, now, you were about as to I say mentioned, that you, there, there was one that, that was the example that yeah, so I I, uh, I mentioned last week I saw a, a Kristen Wiig movie uh, where she plays a writer who at the end of the movie meets Whit Stillman. And uh, Whit Stillman actually plays himself, and he has no business playing himself uh, because he's such a, a terrible presence. Here's another example of this. Uh, there's a horrible, horrible Paul Schrader movie called The Canyons starring uh, Lindsay Lohan and a porn actor named James Dean. That's two porn um, actors. Uh, Kelly Wand, how dare you? Uh, and, <laughs> and Lindsay uh, Lohan. Playing one of the characters, I forget, is it James Dean's character? Who, I forget who has the therapist, but uh, playing a therapist in the canyons, Gus Van Sant. Ew. <laughs> He's terrible. Wait, James <laughs> Dean is in a movie with Lindsay Lohan? Is that what you- They play husband and wife, and they lure, uh, basically, James it's a kind of a, it's oh. a posh. Not that James Dean. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would be cool, though. All right, go on. I'm sorry. They lure. Uh, at any rate, so uh, Gus Van Sant plays a therapist in that movie, and, he, and he's terrible. So what I want are examples where it's kind of cool when a director shows up. You don't know him as an actor, uh, and it's important. I don't want you telling me actors. You know, don't bring up, um, you, you know, like Ben Affleck and say, oh, well, he's directing too. I want directors, known directors who are acting. Wait. So those are the rules. Yes, Kelly Wand. There. Are- these are appearances that are that we like because I thought it was appearances we didn't like. Oh, did I mess that up? No, no, no I it's, wanted it's, to. It's ones that we I thought we like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right, ones that we like. I was that, be wrong. That. The reason I mentioned it is because a lot of times, like when you saw Whit Stillman in that Kristen Wiig movie, he was terrible. Gus Van Sant in the Canyons, he's terrible. They're directors. They're they're both great directors, but I don't think either of them should be acting. So these are times where you see a director, and it's a good, pleasant surprise. Right, right, the director right. is good. All right, I'm just going to make yeah. a new list as you guys go. All right, well, let's start with Dingus. By Dingus, you give us your number three choice. Right, this is the one that occurred to me immediately. Um, uh, and I, I, it probably would have been higher on my list had I seen this movie. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Um, but I've, I've actually read uh, a book this guy has written um, about the, the movies that he loves. Um, and it's one, of, it's, it's one of those books that I just I, – I picked up like at a, a library – at a used like 
used book sale library and I'm like, I know I'm supposed to like this director. I, I haven't watched many of his movies. I've watched maybe a couple. But I'm going to read this book, but I love the book so much. Uh, and, and I probably haven't read it for 15 years, but I just have such fond memories of it. And as soon as Tom mentioned this uh, category, I immediately thought of him. And so, and I, I'm not even going to attempt to do a, uh, a quote from it because I'm not, I, I'm terrible with uh, a French accent, but this is, this is a, uh, Francois Truffaut in um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, and I just love the, I love his performance in the movie. I don't remember it very well because it's been such a long time since I've seen the movie. Uh, but he just, he wrote this wonderful book called The Films in My Life um, that is just basically him discussing the movies that he loves. And I really, really like him in that as well. I mean, uh, if, I, if I were to say the, the, the only movie of, of his that really had an impact on me is Four and the Blows. I've seen a couple of other things of his, but it was just such a, I, I just remember seeing Close Encounters a couple of times and going, oh, well, who's that? Uh, oh, I'm supposed to know who that is. Oh, that's uh, that's this famous French director. So there you go. So one of the things that's great about that, Dingus, is even if you don't know who he is, and this is, I think, what, like my number three pick, for instance, is an example of this. This is what I think a good director brings as an actor, and that's this commanding presence. Yeah. You get the sense to, to be a director, it is really, it's herding cats and kicking ass and dealing with, with innumerable crises that come up and just living with six weeks under pressure. I mean, certainly a, a major feature film director. So when Francois Truffaut shows up in Close Encounters, and he's this authority, and then later he's orchestrated this big thing, but there's this kind of benevolence to yeah, him, too. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's there's just this intelligence too. Like he's he's a he just is clearly a sharp, in command guy. And and I love this even more. He never. I don't think he ever speaks English. There might be a couple of times where he says an English phrase, but he's speaking through Bob Balaban as his interpreter. <laughs> so you get both the best of Bob Balaban as an actor, who I really like, and whatever this thing, this commanding presence is that Truffaut has, it comes through in Close Encounters. I love that character. He's just got this great sort of. Uh, He's, he's gentle and he's sweet, but he's. And you're right. He is commanding as well. I mean, when he's on stage and he's doing the the hand signs, and then he does yes. that with the alien at the end again. Um, uh, he's just got this great sort of sense of of command, but sensitivity, and I love that about him in that movie. He could be the head of the UN. Like if, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could watch yeah, that movie, yeah. and he could play the guy in charge of whatever biggest international body is, is in charge of things. And yeah, it would totally work. Kelly Wan, what is your number three favorite example? Or maybe you've got a slightly different list. We'll go with whatever you've got. What is your number three pick for whatever you're picking? Uh, in the movie Alien, when John Hurt's looking into the egg. Directors in that movie. Yeah, there is. Wait. And then, okay, and inside the egg is the facehugger, the first one, and uh, it's being played by the gloved hands of Ridley Scott. Okay, interesting. <laughs> uh, my number three pick, uh, and Dingus, this reminds me of, like, like you say with Francois Truffaut, God, I love Sidney Pollack, especially as an actor, and it's kind of funny when you look up Sidney Pollack. Oh, that's Pollack, a good one, yeah. Sidney Pollack has actually – he's got 37 credits as a director and 40 credits as an actor. <laughs> I had no idea. 
But he is so – it's that same thing with Truffaut. Like he just exudes like competence and authority. But my favorite, of course, and I think he's so well known for this, and I believe he, he was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actor, you know, as Dustin Hoffman's agent in Tootsie, just their banter and his exasperation um, and their relationship. But I love watching Sidney Pollack as an actor. God, I love that I guy. like him in Husbands um, and Wives a lot. Woody Allen maybe? I've maybe never oh, seen Oh, well, that's those. one of my favorites. Uh, what is husbands and wives? I can't. I uh, the main thing I remember from watching that is that it made me nauseated because the camera was just so like it's pretty shaky cam. Oh, it's so shaky cam. Wait, which one is husbands and wives? Davis is in it, and Liam Neeson. It's like in an apartment and a camera like mounted on a shopping cart. It's horrible. Yeah, it's very shaky. Woody Allen did. I get the sense that Woody Allen's just quick and dirty shooting style, and we've talked about this before. Uh, it just yeah, it's like it's really around. funny on that one. I think you should. that's that's a good point, Kelly. I mean, I can totally picture what Tom's talking about with Tootsie because he's just got such a great anchoring in that movie. Uh, and I just I, oh man, I just feel so sad that he died. Um, I love that guy so much, and he's so great in Tootsie, but I didn't remember him in Husbands and Wives. Okay, that's my number three. That's what I meant. Well, uh, your number three, we have you down for Alien. I'm oh, afraid I don't like these rules. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number two favorite example of a director in a movie? <laughs> All right. Well, this one, I, I really had a hard time. Uh, I, I had a hard time tracking down the actual story for this, for why he ended up doing this scene, because uh, because apparently, you know, I rem- and this might be one of those apocryphal sort of stories of like the actor couldn't handle the scene, and then the the main <laughs> the main actor goes, "Well, we, you know what you want." do it and then he ended up doing it um but then i i, I looked up I, I looked it up over the week and it, it turned out jt walsh was supposed to play the part and and then it and then there was a scheduling difficulty so anyway it's it's um it's barry levinson playing the the psychiatrist doctor in rain man um I, what <laughs> yeah there's the, there's the scene where uh where uh the two characters end up in this little small town and um and and Tom Cruise has no idea what the hell is going on. He doesn't really understand what his brother, what it, what the brother's diagnosis is. So he takes him to see this doctor to see if like, can you give him some pills or can you tell me what the hell is going on here so I can so we can get on with our with our journey here. And this this doctor sits with him and he's like, okay, Raymond, um, uh, how, how much would you uh, pay for one of those can- for a candy bar? Uh, about a hundred dollars. How much would you pay for uh, a compact car? About a hundred dollars. And I remember this, but I don't. I don't think I ever knew that this was Barry yeah, Levinson. This, sure and this is Barry Levinson, that. who's the director of that movie, actually. And and he and he's just kind of like, yeah, I've I've read about this before, I, you know. And and sort of reveals to Tom Cruise that your your brother has autism or however he does it. I don't. I haven't again. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, but. This is the other thing that occurred to me immediately is, is the the uh, perhaps apocryphal story of the, it wasn't working out with the actor. And finally, Tom Cruise or Dustin Hoffman said, hey, you know what you want. Why don't you just try it? And it worked out. So uh, but I, I don't think can they do that with union rules? I like, wait I, a I really don't think you can. Um, but uh, they fix I, it post, I, legally. I remember I remember the story from because I, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for Rain Man. Um, and I just remember that being the story at the time that that uh, it just didn't work out, 
and and as I read, it was it was supposed to be a, a, a fairly big actor, but he couldn't make it, uh, and so Barry Levinson just ended up doing the part. But he's yeah, I think he's really good in it. It's just you know he's he's just this small town doctor, but he's just muddling through this diagnosis. <laughs> I'm not sure I would know what Barry Levinson looks like if I passed him on the street. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Right. He he actually has a name tag usually. <laughs> if you could wear Barry, if you're listening, if you could wear a T-shirt with your name on it at all times, so that I know you. If it just, I see, it just actually, says never... diner on it. Okay, good. As long as it doesn't say the bay. He's always oh, popcorn oh. coming out of his zipper. I got that. Oh, no. Kelly, on what is your number two favorite appearance of a director? In a I like because it seems like that's where we're skewing now. It was going to be hated appearances, but now you're going with with liked appearances. Is well, I thought of some or director appendages. Okay. Oh, uh, like Quato? Was came out of Paul Verhoeven's. <laughs> My number two is uh, in the film Motion Picture End of the Night, where John Landis is one of the hitmen. But I think he's supposed to be Arabic. And he like shoots a doorknob at one point, because he's upset. I don't remember I that. I think he shoots himself in the head, too. Yeah. Uh, there's a movie that Dingus and I really – oh, Dingus, you've seen Last Life in the Universe. Yeah. Haven't you? Yeah. yeah. There's a movie we really like called Last Life in the Universe. It's a Thai movie. It has a Japanese actor. I'm going to say his name. I probably will screw it up. Named Asano Tadunobu, uh, who we really like. Um, and one of the cool things in Last Life in the Universe is at the end of the movie – and I don't think he's really got many lines – but Takashi Miike shows up as one of the assassins. <laughs> Shows up to kill him. I just I thought of that when you mentioned John Landis, Kelly Wand. Uh, uh, yeah, it's nice to have a director show up as a hitman. Good. All right. Uh, okay, my number two pick well, he's, is he, is he's, what? he's dumb him? too. So I think I like when directors appear in their movies as dumbasses. Has John Landis been in? Like, does he do appearances in his movies? Because uh, I know what he looks like, but I'm not remembering seeing. Like, is he in Blues Brothers ever? Probably. No, but there, there's another director in that. Landis is in Gremlins. He's driving like a little car in that inventor, inventor's convention with Jim Henson. Uh, who's the other director in Blues Did Brothers? Did anybody else choose Blues Brothers? No. Um, I almost chose this. Uh, Steven Spielberg is in it. What? But he can't be he's, a good actor. What is he in Blues Brothers? He's the uh, tax assessor dude. Uh, they they finally get up to the tax oh assessor board. And it's really just a cameo, and he doesn't have anything to do. Okay. It's not okay. worth it's not worth mentioning, really. But it, uh, other than to say, hey, Steven Spielberg was in this movie, and he plays the tax assessor dude. All right. Well, there goes my number one. Thanks. Sorry. I'm uh. Change it. To... Uh, my number two pick. This guy is not a. Um, let me. I don't want to be cruel. Um, this guy, by the way, is alternately a brilliant and a terrible director. I don't think his future is in acting because he doesn't have a lot of presence, but it plays so perfectly for this scene. Um, in Your Next, they get Ty West <laughs> to play Amy Siemens's boyfriend, and he's a filmmaker in the movie. And there's a great scene where Joe Swanberg is giving him grief about making movies and how he should make commercials and how, uh, you know, it's almost a little bit of meta stuff that Adam Wingard, who directed Your Next, is doing about the important, you know, the, the role of movies and are they important and do they matter and should we be making documentaries instead uh, about meaningful subjects. So Ty West is kind of, this is the, the, uh, this is the stand-in for filmmaking 
and the first guy to get killed <laughs> with a bolt right through the head, Ty West, summarily dispatched. Uh, so I love his appearance in Your Next. Uh, I love kind of how meek he is. He's completely out of his element, and that's the way it's supposed to be. He's being dragged to this big, dynamic, boisterous family as the new boyfriend. He's completely lost. Uh, and so, I, and I, I just love knowing that that is Ty West. That's the guy who did House of the Devil. Uh, and by the way, he also has a small part in a movie called Drinking Buddies, which is kind of about, um, uh, it's just like blue collar workers. They're working at like a, I think a beer, uh, not beer manufacturing. What do you call it? Brewery. They're, they're working at a brewery and, uh, he's one of the schlubby best friends there. Uh, but Olivia Wilde is in the movie and Ty West's character gets to sleep with Olivia Wilde simply because those are the kinds of options that she has <laughs> at this particular station in her life. Um, so I like seeing Ty West, especially in, uh, your next. Wait, where does he get to do that at? A radio station? No, in uh, Drinking Buddies. It's uh, Joe Swanberg directed that, I believe. Uh, it's uh, Olivia Wilde and Jake Johnson, the Let's Be Cops dude. Is that offer still good? Let's Be Cops or Drinking Buddies? <laughs> Which offer do you Sleeping mean? Sleeping with her to get into the radio play. <laughs> Uh, I don't know where you're getting an idea about a radio play, um, but uh, she sleeps with Ty West because Jake Johnson like breaks her heart. Uh, she's like, well, fine. I'm going to go sleep with this guy. So she has sex yeah. with Ty West. Off off camera, by the way. Oh. If you want to see her sleep with someone more attractive, she uh, she does sleep with Jason Bateman in um, Change Up. So give that movie a shot, Kelly Wand. I don't, they don't have to be – the dudes don't have to be cute. Uh, Dingus, what's your favorite instance of a director in a movie? All right, my favorite one. Um, I, I, I'm not going to have a whole lot to say about this, like the other two, uh, but I, I just love this performance so much. And and this is the performance that Brad Bird gives of Edna Mode in oh. <laughs> The Incredibles. Um, I love that he supplies the voice uh, for this weird costume designer for their outfits and he does this wonderful job of of doing the vocal performance and i love i mean there's so many things i love about the the incredibles but i i think edna mode is such a great character and it's just hilarious that brad bird who uh is the director of the movie uh does the acting in it kelly one should we give this to dingus even though it's just voice work well it's not quite as solid as my face hugger, nom. <laughs> but since it's Dingus, he's hard to stay mad at. <laughs> Kellyon, what is your favorite appearance of a director in a movie? My number one is the movie The Village. Oh, wait, no, that's from my other list. Uh, my number one is from uh, the movie. I'll do a line from it. Uh, are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> that's... He's certainly dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got a lot of energy in that scene. Who are you talking about? <laughs> uh, do, do you want me to give it away? Yeah. I presume you're talking about Scorsese's appearance in Taxi oh, Driver. Oh, I meant Jody Foster yeah. is the director of Nell in Taxi Driver. Oh, good lord. All right. <laughs> uh, my number one favorite, and this is, so this is what actually inspired the topic. Uh, I don't think either of you guys has seen this movie. You might have seen another one you did. Um <laughs> This guy is a uh, – so there's a, a group of filmmakers, and I think they call themselves uh, – and they call themselves the H.P. Lovecraft 
I'm going to screw it up. Preservation Society? Yeah. At any rate, they made a really cool black and white movie called Call of Cthulhu. It's a silent movie. Uh, the fellow who directed it is a guy named Andrew Lehman. Um, and they shot it as if this is what the movie would be if it took place, you know, if it was actually a movie made when the events took place. And Lovecraft's stories took place in the 20s. So they shot it as a silent movie. And it's fantastic. It's a, it's a short. It's only like 40 minutes long. Um, but it's great. They do really cool things. It is just so lovingly made. And it is one of the best – it is one of the best cinematic expressions of H.P. Lovecraft because it's a faithful adaptation of, of the, the short story. So their next movie, they decided to do a feature-length film. They did it with sound. I believe it's black and white. I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, it's called The Whisperer in Darkness. Um, Andrew Lehman didn't direct it, but the same guy that he co-wrote and directed, that he worked with for Call of Cthulhu, directed this. He worked on it. He, I think, co-wrote it with him. The Whisperer in Darkness is another adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft story. It is also set back in the 20s. It's a period piece. Uh, they cast as the lead character a uh, fairly good-looking guy, but... He was also in the first movie as the lead. He's got a, a great face, a very period face. But when he starts acting, it's really not working. He cannot carry this movie. Furthermore, it's a full length. It's like a 90-minute movie. Uh, it's a dialogue. You know, a lot of things get introduced when you start talking into a movie. Completely different factors are introduced when it has spoken dialogue. Things you can gloss over in a silent movie. Uh, where you're just looking at the actor. So when this guy, who was also the lead in Call of Cthulhu, starts speaking and acting, and you're watching him, and it, he absolutely doesn't work, and it's kind of sad and disappointing, because there's 90 minutes of that. However, early on in Whisper in Darkness, the conceit is that this guy is a scientist, and he's not a believer in the occult or the, the stuff that has to do with Lovecraft, but he, he has a, a, an academic debate with someone who does believe in this stuff. And his opponent in the debate is played by a guy named Andrew Lehman, who is the director of Call of Cthulhu, who's been responsible, partly responsible for making these movies. And Andrew Lehman is amazing. <laughs> he is so period looking. He's kind of a round fella. Uh, he's got, but you know, with his face, he's, he totally looks like a professor from the era. He is so fluid and comfortable with the dialogue. He's expressive. It made me want to have him be the lead through this movie. <laughs> he looks perfect. You know, the other guy is maybe more conventionally handsome, but Andrew Lehman should be a hero in a Lovecraft adaptation. He is so great as this debate partner, and he's in a couple of scenes in Whisperer in Darkness, that if these guys, if the H.P. Lovecraft Preservation Society is going to go forward and make more movies, and by golly, I hope they do, please put Andrew Lehman in the lead. He was so pleasing to discover. Uh, so that's my number one pick. Uh, and I guess neither of you has seen Whisperer in Darkness. Kelly, why do you seem like you would appreciate a, a little bit of good Lovecraft? Yeah, I think that's one of my least favorite stories, though, because it's mostly flashbacks and shit. And he, they do he, some, there's too much whispering okay. in darkness in it. It's like a dude talking into a microphone. They take some really terrible creative liberties to sort of punch up the third act. Well, the debate sounds <laughs> interesting. I don't remember that happening in the story. That debate stuff is awesome. I mean, and it, yeah, it, it really does kind of come alive. Well, Call of Cthulhu is exciting. Like, a lot of cool shit happens. They drive a boat yeah. through it. There's a fucking, there's a city from under the ocean. There's a lot of cool shit going on. And Whisper in Darkness is kind of like more of a quiet. So it seems like a, a worse idea for 90 minutes, maybe. 
it's an odd pick, but all the stuff with like the Migos storing people's brains in jars, like you can tell they had some cool ideas they wanted to play yeah. with, but I don't think it sustained the movie. And the poor the actor, the, the lead actor, just really was, I think, a big problem. So, all right, let's uh, go to what the readers have for us. Oh God, where I just wanted to that? tell you I mean, how oh, yes. exciting it is to hear you talk that way about that, that about discovering that performance. I mean, that's that's so exciting. I really liked that that first uh, silent movie that you directed me to. Uh, I really, really think it's a it's a great movie, and so I'm I would definitely like to see this movie, especially because you're so excited about this performance. It's so great. It, it really is. It's partly because as you're watching the movie, you're like, oh god, this is our lead actor. Okay, whatever. And then when Lehman comes out, you're like, yes, awesome. oh, that's so good. And it really is. It's it's kind of like I love movies where the main character isn't what you would have isn't what you need to lead us in a movie today. Like you know we love Frank Grillo he's a great lead actor but by golly you know Paul Giamatti needs to turn from time to time too. Like uh, in that I, kind of a I role just, you mean? Uh, just as as the lead actor you know yeah. you don't always need to get the most handsome guy to be your lead actor. Well yeah no, it seems like if it, if it's going to be a sympathetic underdog if he's like a big badass dude like Frank Grillo it seems less. It's kind of your Rock versus Harrison Ford argument all over again. No, it's not, Kelly. We're going to have a lot more of that next week. Aren't you uh, no, table no, no. Please. Ladnar Sivad. Uh, our Repeat. listeners Ladnar, have the most awesome names. Especially Ladnar Sivad. He might be my favorite. Hi, guys. Thanks for your continued support and excitement with reading my name each week. <laughs> Gives me a burst of happiness, quickly followed by a dark and all-encompassing melancholy from which I can never escape. Until next week when you do it again. Say it wrong every week. A different way. Is that what he means? Because we take such joy out of just saying his name. He doesn't like that. So he picks... He picks three movies. He says they're in no particular order. His first is Takashi Takano who we mostly know as Beat Takashi. This is a great one. Uh, he's known for the films which he writes, directs, and acts. Most notably, oh, this is the one I would have picked, uh, 1993's Santine, 2000's Brother, and his 2003 reimagining Zatoichi, The Blind Swordsman, which is probably my favorite of his acting roles in movies he also directed. As an actor, he seems to have just one character, but man, is that character badass. Isn't he the the... Main like teacher principal guy in um, Battle Royale, or am I mis mistaking that? The beginning, yeah. Uh, Is that Pete Takashi? Tell me one. I'm with a bunch of uh, white guys on this podcast. Oh well. Oh well. Quentin Tarantino loves to jam himself into any old thing he's directing or producing, but I did like him as the dude with the piss joke in the bar in Desperado. I think I did too. I think he's kind of funny in that part. Am I done? Oh, he's he's a terrible actor. I, don't, I kind of yeah, like I kind of resent when he shows up. No, that oh, one part so though, he does a piss joke. What's the movie where he's explaining the homoeroticism of Top Gun? I don't. It's not something he directed. It might even be like a Whit Stillman movie. But isn't there a movie where he's doing that whole shtick at a party in a party scene? Is he playing himself? Is it Destiny on the Radio? Is that the one? Is it Blue Jasmine? Yeah. I don't know that I've seen whatever that is, Dingus. What's the one where know. he comes out of the pool? He levitates out of the swimming pool. Jeez, everyone's like a godlike being. We're down the rabbit hole now. Uh, Ladnar Savad's third pick. This is odd. I don't know, Ladnar. I don't think this guy belongs on this side of the camera. This guy belongs on the other side of the camera. Ladnar chooses John Carpenter. (laughs) And he said he he has small roles in many of his films, but I think he really peaked in his role as the creepy morgue dude in The Bumpers little book in things for the 1993 horror anthology Body Bags. 
Oh, I never it's saw never that. Worked for me. Was, mm, I saw a couple of them, and I was just like, oh, John Carpenter, no. Get get back to <laughs> Excuse me. Plus, Thank you. Uh, wait, wait. What about, is Dan O'Bannon a director? Because I wanted to pick him for Dark Star, but I thought he was just... He is the director of Return of the Living Dead. Uh, so technically... Okay, so I could have picked him. I, I just like watching him in... Well, you know what? Is he good? I think he's good in Dark Star, even if you don't know who he is. I don't really remember. I just love seeing in Dark Star knowing that's Dan so you think I with the chicken? Yeah. But you... Well, he's like... Is that him? Yeah, I think so. But is anyone in Dark Star really good, though? Is... No, but it's part of its charm. Paul Weimer writes, three best directors who really want to act, lots of good choices. It does seem some directors love being in front of the camera as much as the actors who want to direct. Right, okay. Paul wrote a little intro for his. Uh, his number three pick, an obvious choice perhaps, Paul writes, but Kevin Smith as the usually stolid and, as the usually stolid and silent Bob in particularly Chasing Amy. Dingus, what do you think of that pick? I think it's uh, fine. He inserts himself into a lot of his movies, but I think Paul's right. He's particularly good in Chasing Amy. I'm not sure I can believe well, that. Well, he's, he's got a very important scene at the end, and it's funny. I mean, it's the, it's the moment where Silent Bob finally talks, and Jay's like, yeah, now you're going to bust out and do that? Really? That's your shtick? Um, but I think Kevin Smith pulls it off just fine. I think Paul's got a good choice here. Is he at all in um, uh, Zach and Mary make a porno? Does he insert himself in no, that? No, no, I don't think so. Good. Is he in Cop Out? I wish you wouldn't use the word insert for that particular. <laughs> Do you guys know who's directing Pitch Perfect 2? What? Do you know Should who's directing? No, I didn't say he's directing. I mean, no. Do you know who is directing Pitch Perfect? First of all, it's the same cast, of course, and Haley Steinfeld is joining them. But you guys don't know who the director is of Pitch Perfect 2? No, I don't follow that. Elizabeth Banks. What? 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 <laughs> Wait, uh, I'm sorry. I think I'm okay I'm with sorry. that. I think you just said that Elizabeth Banks is directing Pitch Perfect. And I think I'm okay with that. I don't know. I'm a little I'm worried. I'm fine with that. She's awesome. She's in it. She's in it. I mean, she'll definitely be in it as well. But I went to see who was directing that today. Elizabeth Banks will be doing Why Pitch Perfect Why the hell does she want too. to do that? She likes comedy, it's a good I think. And I mean, you know, I told you I... Is in it? Oh, you know what? Yeah, I thought yeah. you meant Pitch Black, too. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, Elizabeth Banks <laughs> is directing Pitch Black 2, Vin Diesel. So she's going, cut, Vin, one more time. <laughs> Kelly, why I love peering into your Damn. Mind. Well, that makes a little more sense, though. Yeah, but his mind peers into you, Tom. Haley Steinfeld <laughs> from Orson's Game. I just saw her in a movie this last week. She's so great. I love and you recommend this movie, right? So Dingus goes to some <laughs> dippy little romantic comedy, and he comes back telling me that it's good and I should see it. Dingus, you have the list, anything you want to say to the listeners? Uh, yeah, I think I think people should see Begin Again, and she's particularly good in it. Uh, but and Mark Ruffalo's in it. I mean, it's a really, really good movie, and it's. it's I can't get over thinking of it as a Kira Knightley romantic comedy. Well, Dingus. all you have to do is. I mean, you liked the movie once. If people liked the movie once, this is kind of a a more commercial version of that. That has Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley happens to be singing in it, and Haley Seinfeld is in it. I mean, they're really good, and it's it's a I mean, it's a really good movie. I mean, you liked uh, you you like romantic comedies every now and then, Tom. You can accept that again <laughs> again. You you liked uh, Enough Said. I mean, it's not on that level, but it's a really good movie. And if you liked Once, you would really like Begin Again. See how see how strong he's coming on, Kelly Wand. Is Once a prequel to Next? No, but you are. Wait, he's coming on strong the way Paul Rudd comes on strong and they came together. Oh, jeez. Really, don't do that. Paul Weimer's number one two-pick, 
He writes, In Waking Life, Richard Linkletter plays one of the dream characters Wiley Wiggins' nameless protagonist interacts with, telling him a crucial story about Philip K. Dick and a visit to the land of the dead, all while playing pinball. Oh. I don't think I remember that. Is that movie good? Isn't Waking Life the one animated, that... Uh, animated clouds and shit. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't... I remember being finding some of it tedious. I'm I tried sure to check I'm, a girl in a scene, and she, I go, Ethan Hawke's in it, and she's all, just his voice. I found a few trick. Yeah, I don't know. And you were the same. That was, Paul was, seems to appreciate it. Waking Life. Oh, here's a good one. Paul picked... I'd actually completely forgotten about this one. Uh... In Chinatown, Roman Polanski plays the hoodlum <laughs> who imitates and performs impromptu nose surgery on Jack Nicholson's Jake Giddis. Do you guys remember what he calls him? Uh, left, kitty cat. Uh, no, kitty cat. Isn't he calling him kitty oh, cat? Polanski's getting the tenant. That's what I should have picked. Damn it. See, Kelly, what happens if you don't think about these over the course of the it's week? It's more that I didn't listen to you when you first pitched it. Arthur Giovanginelli writes... <laughs> Taxi Driver. Martin Scorsese plays a creepy dude who rides in a taxi driven by De Niro. Scorsese claims his wife is cheating on him and that he intends to shoot her in the face and perhaps other places with a forty-four Magnum. Supposedly, oh, I didn't know that, Scorsese played this part after the actor he originally hired had to back out. He does a decent job with the part, letting the creepy lines carry the scene and not pushing too Was hard. Was it Buddy Hackett? Uh, Arthur also picks Chinatown for his number two pick. Uh, Polanski plays a... Oh, this is cute. Uh, Arthur calls Polanski a diminutive thug. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. It's true. Uh, He says, it's a great scene and uh, an iconic movie injury that Polanski's acting does not diminish. I enjoy even the way his accent is audible. It gives the thug a little bit of personality. Aside from Nicholson's midget comment. I didn't remember that. Does Nicholson call him a midget? I don't remember that either. He's not awesome. Oh, here's a good one. I actually forgot about this. I'm so not used to seeing this guy. Uh, Arthur picks number one, Three Kings. Mm. Spike Jones. Arthur even spells Oh, it that's a good one. Yeah. yeah, he plays Conrad Vig in a fairly major role, especially compared to the other two roles I've mentioned. The movie came out in 99, the same year that Being John Malkovich yeah. was released, meaning that Jones was not particularly well-known as either an actor or a director at the time. Given the way his career has gone, however, it's interesting to see the director of movies such as Adaptation and Her giving a damn good performance as a slightly dim-witted soldier who shoots stuffed animals in his free time. Jones also gives a funny vocal performance. Oh, did you know this, Dingus? That uh, Jones was one of the voices in Her? No. He is the alien kid in the video game that Theodore plays. Oh, all right. That's what Arthur says. Dave Perkins says uh, Michelle, that's his wife, uh, doesn't watch movies for the background knowledge, like who's in it or who directed it. She watches movies so she can tell me ahead of time what's going to happen. But, he says, I know my directors. Uh, I hope that none of you pull a muscle, but my first choice is M. Oh, Jesus. Is M. Night Shyamalan in Signs. In which Signs? Could be worse. Could Uh, be worse. Dave Perkins says his performance is all I remember from that movie, aside from the birthday party in Brazil footage. Uh, He writes, I I recall thinking at the time it was an inspired choice to choose an Indian actor to play this role in a film set in the American Midwest. I can't find any scenes online, but I remember his acting was terrific. What do you guys think of that? Dave Perkins thinks that M. Night Shyamalan's acting was terrific. That's because Scorsese bowed out at the last second. He had to (laughs) replace Uh, 
got Dave Perkins' second choice is Quentin Tarantino in Pulp Fiction. Uh, it's bad. It's a shark jump. He's terrible on that. Like with M. Night, I had no clue that this guy was also the director. I immediately loved his weird face and his shrill voice and the way he makes every conversation seem natural. Uh, I think Bashimi would have been better. Well, here we go. Now Dave is talking. And my favorite example, Dave Perkins writes, is Sidney Pollack in Tootsie. He won Best Director, but I wish he'd also won Best Supporting Actor. He was nominated. Uh, his comedic timing is perfect. Chris Hornbossel writes, uh, uh, let's see, I tried to steer, okay, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> trying to, all right, number two, uh, I'm not going to read the quote. This is of, oh, God, this is another great one. All right. Who's the other great director in Chinatown? Faye Dunaway. I can't believe it. John Houston plays the uh, villain. Yeah, Why do we not remember Cause that? Because wow. he acts in a lot of things. And it's well, Jack of... Nicholson's in it, too, and he's directed so. But Dinkus, did you not listen to the rules of this no, I did three? Obviously, I did. Anyway, uh, he gives us a line. Uh, let's see. Chris writes, politicians, ugly buildings, and whores all get respectable if they last long enough. <laughs> Wait. <that's laughs> and he writes... He writes, this is, of course, venerable director and occasional actor John Huston in Chinatown from the amazing scene with Jake Giddis when he tries to warn him off his investigation over dinner. Huston manages to play amoral and evil, but also almost weirdly, grossly sympathetic at times. Watching it recently, it made me wonder which Hollywood peers he was modeling this portrayal after. Do you consider uh, John Huston the Connery of, of Noah's and then... Russell Crowe's like the Roger Moore one. I, he played Noah in a movie? <sighs> Why are you going, ugh, I've never seen a movie where it's Noah... Called, I don't want he's in the Bible that he directed. You're in, <laughs> I'm not going to watch a movie called The Bible. It's theology awful. major. I saw it. I'm not going to watch a movie called The Bible. There's I've a movie called seen. The Bible. And John yeah, and it covers directed. the first three pages of The Bible. Oh, really? So it doesn't even go into well, like the, the what's called the New Testament? Yeah, it gets up to Isaac, and then he's like, all right, that's enough of the Bible. <laughs> wow. All right. Thanks, John Houston. Uh, Chris's number one pick, here's a quote. Uh, plays, have you ever, have you read? Yes, he plays on? God, too. God and uh, voice for okay. God. I'll be sure to check that one out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris's number one pick the quote is have you recently had a close encounter a close encounter was something very unusual but imagine I'm saying it in a French accent you see oh it means Balaban uh, he says this is his number one <laughs> you know what you might be right Kelly Wands oh no that not that one of the lines where he does bust out in English yes I think so uh, Chris writes I think this is my number one mostly because of how audacious and out of left field the casting of Truffaut is uh, Spielberg in Close Encounters had one major movie to his name at this point. Well, Jaws, yeah, it's more than a major movie, I would say. Uh, and he somehow convinced Truffaut, who'd never acted before, to take on this project. Hey, Francois, I made Jaws. Will you be in my next movie? <laughs> yes. Hey, is Jack Nicholson one of the cops who dies from the UFO chase over the cliff and that? Um, I don't think a cop dies. Okay, so he's a federal agent. Uh, Chris writes, it's like the Pixies getting Dame... T yeah, this is awesome. It's like the Pixies getting Dame Kiri Tikanawa to sing backup for them on their second album. <laughs> I don't know anything about Cars, like so... Not sure. 
Uh, Truffaut isn't given much to do throughout the film, I disagree, until yeah. the end when the role is revealed as the theme of the movie. As the mothership UFO and the government guy communicate more and more with the tones, we see Truffaut beaming positively. Here's a word I don't really have to say out loud very often. I might be screwing this up. We see Truffaut beaming positively beatific. Beatific, Okay, thank you. When the aliens come out and he communicates to them with hand signals, his joy is infectious. Truffaut's character reveals that this really isn't a movie about aliens at all. It's a movie in which being xenophobic, close-minded, and uninterested is shown for being a sucky way to go, while being open-minded, curious, and interested is what makes being a human being awesome. (laughs) Truffaut reflects all that with a mix of grace and openness that really does make a great role in great casting. I love his use of the word openness for Truffaut, because, yeah, there is that as well. He offsets the CIA allies he's working with. To help Richard Dreyfus leave his family. Nick D writes for his number three pick, Minority Report. What? Do you guys know what? the director appearance in Minority Report? By the way, Frank Grillo in Minority Report. Do you guys know the director appearance? I didn't know in Colin Minority Farrell directed. Uh, as Tom Cruise escapes the authorities on a train, he glances around and we get the classic scene where he thinks a passenger recognizes his photo in the paper. Only this paper is futuristic video paper, and the passenger is Cameron Crowe. Huh. Playing himself? Don't know that the character is named. Yeah, it no should have been a Vanilla Sky, and then it would have been like... So is it, is it kind of a cameo, then? Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, I don't think there's... Any. That's all Nick writes, but I'm guessing... So Cameron Crowe doesn't recognize Tom Cruise? Do you guys know how uh, how uh, you would think he would recognize him after having yeah, made Vanilla Sky? Scott. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you guys know how they did the uh, Hitchcock cameo in Lifeboat? Because Lifeboat is all the survivors in the boat. No. Do you know this? <laughs> Kelly, Wait, do you know this? I am so appalled at so many levels of what you just said. Not least <laughs> Wait, because you were, that's not a grandpa movie? Well, yeah, I've never seen it. Oh, okay, it's go just, on. Then. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I just read this. Uh, so in Lifeboat, because it's a self-contained thing where it's just all the survivors in the Lifeboat, that's the duration of the, the yeah, movie. Uh, one of the characters is reading a newspaper, and there's a big old picture of an ad for like a men's clothing store, and it's a picture of Hitchcock I'm in the newspaper. That the character. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That's not a cameo, is it? Mm, I'm sure he, you know, SAG insured, I'm sure he got his SAG rate for appearing in the movie. It's like, does James Franco get paid? Yeah, he gets paid for having his photo and his video of him in Dawn of the Apes, right? Sure. Yeah, so I imagine Hitchcock got his little sag rate for his it's picture. product placement. Uh, Can you have a picture of an actor? Like, if you have a picture of an actor in a movie, do you have to pay the actor? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wait, what about that part in Titanic where he, Leo DiCaprio, is sketching James Cameron naked? That must be in the deleted scenes. Cameron is in Terminator. Do you guys know about this? No, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So in Terminator, when uh, when uh, Sarah Connor runs into Tech Noir, which is the bar, uh, the, it's not a bar, it's like a disco, um, and she's trying to call her, her roommate, uh, but her roommate, you know, there's an answering machine, because I think actually her roommate's just been killed by the Terminator. Yeah, she calls her roommate to say, hey, something's going on, and the Terminator just killed her roommate and Rick Rossovich. Rick Rossovich. Um, so uh, the Terminator's listening when Sarah Connor leaves a message and says, I am at Tech Noir, come pick me up. And the Terminator conveniently hears this. So when Linda Hamilton leaves the message and then hangs up the phone and walks out of the frame, 
James Cameron is the guy leaning up against the wall. Actually, no, I think he's sitting there while she makes the call. James Cameron is leaning against the wall, kind of leering at her. He's like checking her out. It's kind of like, ooh, who's that well, weird they first dude? had a relationship after that, so he's probably not acting. Ah, very good. But yeah, there's definitely a Cameron, or a, yeah, Cameron. Cameron. Is Catherine Bigelow in the background with her arms folded, looking suspicious? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick D's number two pick, Miller's Crossing. About halfway through the movie, after Johnny Casper has seized control of the police, there's a scene where the cops attack an Irish gin joint. We get a great view of a corrupt cop played by Sam Raimi, who guns down a civilian in cold blood, only to be riddled with machine gun bullets minutes later. Did you guys know about that? No, I know Sam Raimi's in Spies Like Us with Joel Cohen and Martin Brest as drive-in security guards. Do they have lines? No. Um, No. A quiz show. For once, Martin Scorsese's motormouth persona seems to be put to good use, since he's cast here as the sleazy president of Geritol, the sponsor who was in on the quiz show Fix. Wait, who? All right, Nick. Martin Scorsese. He's the head of Geritol in that movie? Apparently, yeah. (laughs) Who's seen quiz show, though? I I haven't either. When I found out it wasn't about a real quiz show, I was like... It is about a real quiz show. I should see it then. I'll watch it. (laughs) Uh, Runners up, gentlemen. What do you guys got? Anything? So, um, how do you feel about uh, if I were to pick uh, Werner Herzog? Oh, my God. Dingus, dingus, dingus. (laughs) You've just trumped us all. Wait, unless you're going to pick Jack Reacher. No, I was going to pick Into the Loch Ness. But I was going to then ask you, because I haven't seen Jack Reacher. Is he any good in it? Uh, he's Werner Herzog, so he's fascinating to watch. But no, he's so much. He's so awesome. And he's so much fun. And he's so funny. An incident at Loch Ness. Why didn't I think of that? Dad, gummit, dingus. <sighs> Kelly, have you seen Incident at Loch Ness? No, I don't see movies set places. <laughs> Is it good? What's the incident? Oh, it's awesome. It's a, it's Zach Penn, right? Dingus? Yeah. Directed. Yeah. Um, it's a mockumentary about um. The Loch Ness Mar- it's, it's, no, I'm sorry. Footage? It's a documentary, a documentary. about the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. Um, and it features a, a, a very interesting sonar operator. Mm. Um, I actually is it a good that movie? Katana Baker? Is that it's, that really, it's a really good that? movie. Come on. Yeah. It's awesome. uh, and even the director's commentary is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they play up the joke. Oh, man, I forgot about that. Dingus! Sorry. Oh, yeah, uh, this has a face in What Dreams May Come in Hell. Did you, get, did you know that? Herzog is a face in that Robin Williams yeah, thing? he's in the sea of faces wow. in Hell. That's awesome. He claims to be Robin Williams' father. That's awesome. Okay. I, that's the only thing I've heard about that movie that makes me want to see it. Isn't that like a Lassie Halstrom or Barry – who directed Chris that? Columbus, I think. Oh, God. Sorry. Are you serious? Uh, that's my ga- I think so. Right. Also, I remember I had a great poster. Sidney Pollock's in Eyes Wide Shut, too, remember? It's Tom Cruise's buddy. Yes, yes, yes. It's all overdose. And also Cronenberg in To Die For as the Italian man was one of my runners up. Oh. Which was a weird casting thing because he's not really Italian looking. Uh, what Dreams May Come, Kelly Wand, is directed by Vincent Ward. Whatever. The guy who was talking about where he had that. A- no, he did the. Uh, the the third alien movie no, no. not the third he, he wrote a script for the third sure. alien movie he did a cool movie called the navigator um, oh. what was his he was originally slated I think to do the Joan of Arc take on aliens 
Except Alien. Oh, 3, the wooden, right? the wooden one. The we talked about. Yeah, wasn't that Vincent Ward? Yeah. And then he was given a script credit for the one that Fincher directed eventually. Because the prison's kind of like medieval times. But anyway, that's the wet dreams may come, okay? Wet dreams may good? come. Is that what you just said? Uh, Kelly. I thought that's what he said. <laughs> Is that good? Should I see? No. Don't um, anything. Till I is t- it okay to include Shane Black from Predator? Uh, who is he in that? I guess he has done Iron Man 3. Who is he in that? Jesus Come Christ. on. <laughs> he's the guy. But wasn't he? He was a, he was a writer first. Yeah. Like he's directing. Yeah, I don't think he was a director at that point. He's just he's the guy with the glasses. I mean, come on. Did you think that he was the hot uh, Latina chick, Kelly Wand? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> I also kind of uh, like Steven Soderbergh in Schizopolis. So. Oh, oh yeah, he's good. Mm. See? No, I don't. I don't see mm, Tom. Mm. See what I'm saying? No. I think it's made a point. <laughs> so accept, accept it. There's all those funny faces in the mirror. I love him. About staying alive. I forced Tom I to watch Schizopolis against his will. I'm afraid. What? It didn't hold up. Didn't I kind of like it. Did not work out. It holds up for me, but uh, Tom was like Tom's really very upset. Man. Tom's a very can... angry, upset man. You know what else Dingus has been forcing me to watch because his son's been watching it? Kelly, when have you seen the Fantastic Four movie directed by Tim Story, who did those barbershop movies? Have you seen Fantastic Four? Uh, the first one I remember kind of liking. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly kind of liked Fantastic Yay, Four. Yay, Kelly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know, who, Chris Evans is really funny in it. He kind of steals the movie. You know what? Go ahead. Fine. You need to see Snowpiercer then. Go for it. Knock yourself out. Have fun. Remember he hits on that nurse and then they go skiing together? That part's good. See, the same part of Kelly Wan that responds to uh, they came together is responding to... Yeah, I like some form. dumb... What does that tell you? Dude, you like Transformers. Some dumb things are fun. That's mm, a different kind of dumb. It is? Transformers yeah, was a solemn dumbness. Unlike... Transformers was an, er- was an earnest dumbness. You're liking dumbness that thinks it's being funny. Uh, well, then they made the second one, and I went, all right, I think he... I remember he goes, Tim's story after the first one goes, okay, in the second one, Dr. Doom's going to have like all his real powers. Like We're not going to like fucking punt and whiff on it like we did. What do you mean real powers? He's not a real character. Yeah, he's... What does that mean? He's going to have all his real he's powers? He's a baron of he's... Latveria. Okay. There's <laughs> another world. What powers? Oh, so like political powers. Like he can pass legislation in Latveria. Well, think, Are those the real powers he's going to get in Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer? He didn't have any powers in that one either. That's what I'm saying. That's what's weird. Like he, Tim Story promised that, but he was even weaker in the second one, wasn't he? I didn't. I don't. You don't have to refer Wait, to that. Wait, does Dingus's kid like the second one too, or just the first one? No, he he doesn't much uh, care for Rise of the Silver Surfer, but yeah. he likes he likes the first one. Yeah. And actually, the first one, to be fair, is better than I thought it was. It's really bad, but it's also kind of like the comic book. It really captures the flavor of America. Actually, that kind of makes sense, Kelly Wand. I do, yeah. They're not the Avengers, they're they're not the X-Men, they're just the fucking dumbass Fantastic Four. (laughs) (laughs) That should be on the cover of the comics, right? That should be their tagline. But remember in that movie where they're in space and they all, the whole thing's getting wiped out, and then you have no idea how they get back to Earth. 
Yeah, they just get it, the suddenly in a hospital. Yeah, it's like, oh, that was crazy. And they're, they none of them have a scratch on them or a video. Like, it's kind of, there's a, Tom's going to hate this analogy, but it has like a Charlie's Angels quality. Like, they just didn't give a shit. There was a, a not give a shitness in the air. Charlie's Angels, they gave, McGee gave an S. He cared. What? Are you serious? Any one of them could have said any line and none of that. No, no, there's no, no. I, I fully maintain some of the action, the connective tissue. Charlie's Angels is solid. Both Charlie's Angels and Charlie's Angels full throttle. I had to say both titles. <laughs> I will say Sir, it again. Or, I, I love those. Movies. I own both those movies proudly. Oh, do they have Criterion collections? <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't. And I, I've been writing letters to the Criterion Dear sirs, people. It's me. They're not getting back to me yet. I know no. you ignored my last five letters. <laughs> I wish. Can I want is there a Criterion Collection edition of They Came Together? Uh, yeah, it's going to be. It's like when Dave, when David Caruso, after Jade, he goes, "You guys are laughing now, but a hundred years from now, he's kind of like doing what Bush did with the racks. Like, you're going to see, you're going to come around on Jade. All right. Yeah, that's Billy Friedkin at his best, huh? Yeah. Ouch. That's where I wouldn't mind him being called Billy Friedkin by some. But then Billy Friedkin made uh what's the Ashton Kutcher movie? With David Allen. I don't know, but I want to see this now. I mean, William Friedkin made an Ash- Ashton Kutcher I got movie. I Hirsch and Ashton Kutcher mixed up. Oh, yeah. Is it the one where the 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 no, nanny Joe. the tr- the tree monster? What it's is Joe. it? Joe Killer Joe Killer Joe. That's what I meant. It's not Ashton Kutcher. Oh, that's what you're saying. Right, right. Yeah, but Killer Joe, I think of more a Tracy Letts movie. To be to be fair. Oh yeah, and in Body Snatchers, Don Siegel's the cab driver in the remake. Oh, is that yeah. true? Oh, I think I knew it. Who hits um Don, who hits mm-hmm. the dude? Oh, he like hits Kevin one. McCarthy and killed Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy right, was right. the actor of the first movie. Right. Oh, I love that. Kelly One, why didn't you bring that well, one? Because it's not really it could have been It's a good thing you got Ridley Scott's hand in there though. You don't want to leave yeah, that off your list. He's a handmade director. Dingus, what is your, tell us a little bit about what's the three by three for next week? What do you got for All us? All right, so there's a, a scene that involves this in the first Purge movie, um, <laughs> and it, and so what I'm going to ask you fellas to come up with is your favorite scenes involving pool tables. Oh, that's good. I like it. Tom will like it because it's almost sports enough for Tom to hate. <laughs> that's why I did it. Yeah. Can we do pinball machines Thank instead? Given, cool simulators. Given the, given the Richard Linkletter thing that the the Wait, one of the listeners. Do? What did you just say? Uh, you know, I was I was kind of on the fence because there's also a uh, pinball table thing, but uh, I'm gonna go with pool tables, and you'll have you to know, use pinball then, tables another time. No, we're not. Because then Kelly wanted just someone would bring up the accused. Yeah, and that's, just that's gross. kind of exactly uh, right uh, uh, mentally, and I was just like, I don't have the stomach. All right, pool tables it is. I, good Lord, I don't know what to make of that. Oh, wait a minute. There's movies about playing pool. Yep. It's not just like – so we can do that. It's not just like, hey, there's a pool table in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, well, there's, I think there's one movie. There's two movies. There's a movie and a sequel that are about pool. All right, well, I guess I'm going to – I've got two of mine. Well, we'll talk about that next week. If you listeners have any ideas, give us your favorite pool table scenes. Send them in to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3 dot com. The number three, the letter X, the number three, at, and spell out quarter3.com. <laughs> While you're doing that, when you're sending that in, just open a tab uh, and like us on Facebook. We're at Facebook slash quarter to three. Uh, and also follow us on Twitter. Actually, you know what? It's Wait, just kind of Like us on iTunes because I don't have Facebook, so I'll see it if you like us on iTunes. 
If you rate us on iTunes, we always appreciate that as well. Uh, And let's see. This week, no. Yes. Oh, we're gonna not see Lucy, really? You fucking. You can see Lucy, but we're doing a podcast about Dwayne Johnson's Hercules, Uh, directed by noted. Don't tell me. I don't want to know who directs it. I don't want to know. I'm trying to put that out of my mind. Ratner. 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 Support. It will always in my heart be Dwayne Johnson's Hercules <sighs> and not Brett Ratner's Hercules. Damn it. We'll get plenty of opportunities to talk about whether or not Harrison Ford would have been better in the role. Um, and we'll also get plenty of opportunities to compare it to Kellen Lutz's Hercules. Ah, Speaking of near and dear to Kelly Wan's heart. He, he likes coming out of water. <laughs> Kelly Wan, would you call yourself a Lutz man? I'd call myself a huge Lutz tool. Uh, so there's more of that next week so join us for that I am Tom Chick I've been here with uh, Christian Murawski it's Christian Murawski I don't think so and uh, we had I got blown on a pool table one time Was it in? This podcast was brought to you by the Brett Ratner Appreciation Society. Fuck you, Lucy. Didn't we establish a no talking rule? <laughs> Don't laugh at that, Tom. Just be on my side.